Have you ever thought about using your dance experience and education to do something other than teach dance? And now if you are a dance educator out there who loves what you do, I am certainly not the one to tell you to leave, but I have a guest today who opened my eyes to what is possible for dancers who might be ready to break the mold. So I invite you to listen in today with an open mind and maybe you'll see things in a new light too. Today's guest is Erin Pompa, and she is the host of the Dance Boss Podcast. She helps dance professionals launch virtual group training programs and increase revenue to 5K months. Erin is on a mission to help dance professionals build wealth financially, spiritually, and emotionally. And Erin and I talked about our identities as dancers and dance educators, the mindset challenges of starting your own business and paving your own path, and She shares some inspiring stories of other dance professionals who have taken the life lessons that dance taught them and turned them into a whole new career. Welcome to the Passion for Dance podcast. I'm Dr. Chelsea, a former professional dancer and dance team coach turned sports psychologist. This podcast focuses on four main pillars, motivation, resilience, mindset, and community. Each week, you'll learn actionable strategies, mindsets, and tips to teach your dancers more than good technique. This is a podcast where we can all make a lasting impact and share our passion for dance. Let's do this. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Dr. Chelsea. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I am so happy to have you here. We got to do a podcast swap, which is rare and fun. And so thank you for having me on your show. And I'm excited to let my audience hear more about you and what you do. Uh, Will you share a little bit about yourself? Just introduce yourself and your business so uh, my listeners can hear from you. Hello, everyone. Well, my name, you might find me as Erin Pride on the web, but I recently got married so I'm embracing my married name, Erin Pampa. So there's some transition there. So be on the lookout for both. But what I do is I help the dance professional launch a virtual group training program based on their skill set and their area of expertise within the, the dance community. And I help them achieve 5K consistent months in their business through, through doing that. I love that. Oh, and about me? Let's do about you. I want to know a little more about the background, the dance world that got you here. <laughs> I guess um, about me, I grew up in an inner city, which was the hood. My parents both worked in the education facet in very different ways. But, you know, I grew up in the nicer side of the hood. And um, I think that's where my dance, well, I know that's where my dance journey began. And I like to share it because um, dance has impacted my life like so many others so much. And, you know, this high school in my town, there was a performing arts high school. And at the time, it was the only high school that didn't have gang violence. So my mom early on knew that she wanted to help me have a skill set to get into that school. So it was dance. And unbeknownst to my parents, it imprinted on my entire life and kind of, well, definitely led me to where I am today. Oh, I love hearing that. That's amazing how it was not necessarily meant to be your whole life. It was just going to be the avenue to get you started. But look what happened. (laughs) Little did they know. Right. Little did they know. And I think sometimes they approached it with like, yeah, we're so proud of our daughter. But like, sometimes it was like, oh my gosh, we're going to have a starving artist for a while, you know, in the fear behind that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I would love to dive into that a little bit about like life after dance. Cause I think that is a like pervasive thought from parents and from dancers of like, okay, I can dance 
and I can go, even if I go pro, like I, I'm going to age out super young, right? Like I aged mm-hmm. out at like 21. <laughs> I'm like, nope, my body mm-hmm. and my mind, I can't do it anymore. But I love what you're doing and your thoughts about it's not over then. Like we can take our dance skill set into the next phase. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really like looking back now, it's not like I knew that there was this amount of possibility. Um, you know, my performance journey wasn't direct and linear. Like I taught, ran a high school dance program for 15 years while I was there. I got to dance with Palabalus. Like it, it wasn't like the normal, like you graduate college, you, you, you land your big job. No, mine was really indirect and I'm grateful for it. But there became a point about year 10 of teaching. I taught at the high school I graduated from. I restructured that program. My goal was to get these kids into a college for dance if they, they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And there became a point at year 10 where I stood in front of the class and I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, yeah. And then I'm like, who am I? Like, I mean, I busted my butt for those kids. Like most dance teachers do, right? Like I, after school rehearsals, showing up, going home, thinking about them, choreographing, and my whole life revolved around them. And, you know, working in a K through 12 setting, when you think about climbing the ladder, you see like you can be a principal or a superintendent, you can get your MFA and be teach on a collegiate level. Well, I mean, I got my master's in dance education, which I loved. I love curriculum writing and I love everything about dance education. And then I went to pursue my master's as for an MFA because I'm like, okay, maybe that's what I want to do. And I didn't like the program and I left. And then I went to go get my master's in becoming a principal. And I'm like, well, this isn't what I want to do either. So I stood in front of the class, not really knowing how to evolve as an artist and how to change what I was doing because it defined me. So, you know, like breadcrumbs are all around us. I heard a podcast for the first time and I was like, wait, people go online and share their voice. They talk about like their point of view in relationship to a subject matter. I was like, I can definitely do that. And slowly but surely my business was built. And it's funny, like I never, back then I didn't think about like wealth and what that meant, like on a financial, in a financial point of view and a spiritual point of view. But the journey of building a business and being in rooms and around people that I saw achieving things really opened me up. And I was like, I want more money. I want more freedom. I want more time. I want more creativity and a chance to explore who I am as I age. And I didn't know that was possible. Yeah. You know, I didn't until I started. Mm -hmm. So, and the funny thing is like a lot, what I found was a lot of my students love dance, but a lot of them did not want to go to school, college for dance because they came from an inner city just like me and they wanted to break that cycle of poverty. So they thought that they had to get jobs like a doctor, a lawyer, like just a nurse, like those those jobs that have a steady income, right? So what I did when I was there is I created a unit where they took something they loved about dance and turned it into a business. And that really opened my eyes to the possibility that is available to not only young artists, but aging artists and artists who desire to transition. And then the other part of that is the pandemic. The pandemic really showed the dance community that what they can do is build out programming that reaches people all across the globe. 
Um, you know, some people do it as far as having a dance studio online, but what I specialize in is helping people do it in a way that is really specific to a, a, a specific transformation and not in the dance studio mold, but in the specialist mold. And when you think of dance specialists, you usually hear of people like you, Dr. Chelsea, or you hear about like nutritionists or anything like that. You don't hear about somebody who helps birthing bodies um, prepare for birth through movement practices. Like those are the clients that I have, like they're dance specialists too. So it's like defining, redefining our position in the marketplace and elevating our price point to match that so that we could build wealth from a financial standpoint and an internal spiritual standpoint. Oh, so many good things in there. I love hearing the evolution a little bit. And especially for me, I'm always attracted to kind of the psychology and the identity piece. So when you were talking about like standing in front of the room, like all of a sudden, what I guess, was it an all of a sudden, like, I don't like this anymore, or this isn't what I want. Like, was that a, a, there was a clear moment for you when that happened? I, when I tell the story, it feels like it's a clear moment, but I do remember moments leading up to that where I kind of felt myself disconnecting from wanting to teach. But for some reason, when I tell, share the story, I can remember that moment, but it was gradual. It built, of course, it wasn't just like it happened. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. Sometimes it's, it becomes more conscious. Like you said, there's the breadcrumbs and there's pieces of it. And then all of a sudden you do have the the strong conscious, like, wow, this isn't what I want. And it, and it sounds a little like your journey was what I'm quote supposed to do, right? Like I'm supposed to do this mm-hmm. next step, I'm supposed to do this next step. And I think breaking away from what we think we're supposed to do is a, is a huge piece of being an artist, even of like, where is your creativity mm-hmm. if you get out of what you're supposed to do? Um, and same with education and all of that, like just because it's the, the path your parents want or the path society tells you to do, like it doesn't always fit you. So mm-hmm. did you find it hard to break that mold and decide, okay, this is not what I'm supposed to do anymore, but I'm doing it anyway. So it's so funny that you speak to that. I've always been a person that went against the grain. Like my parents didn't want me to go to college for dance. I'm like, yo, I'm going, like we, we doing this. And like, <laughs> I've always been somebody that did what I wanted to do. And I, and I think that's one of my strong qualities. Like I'm like, I'll figure it out. I have a lot of faith, um, even before I knew how to identify it as faith. But what was, what happened that was hard there was the identity crisis because I was doing what I wanted to do, but then the identity crisis of not wanting to do it anymore. It's like, wait, what? So it wasn't even, and there were components of like, am I selfish? Like I'm letting these kids down. I'm letting my parents down. Yeah, that came into play. But I think the hardest part was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I really don't know how else to do something else because I've done this in some capacity my entire life. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like identity is a big piece for dancers because we start so young or it's become, we spend so many hours, right? Then to be able to say, wait, am I allowed to just not do this anymore? Like, am I, what Mm -hmm. am I giving up? Am I letting people down? Am I letting myself down? And, you know, that identity piece of like, I am a dancer. If it's not just something you do, Mm -hmm. it's not like I enjoy dance class or I enjoy teaching dance. It's like, no, I am a dancer. Mm -hmm. I am a dance teacher. Right. And letting go of that identity is hard. It is. But you want to know something that was trickling into my mind and I'm finally like feeling like I have settled in it because it's, what is it? It's March almost, or it is March. I left my job officially December 31st was my last day. So this is not like, there's not a lot of space. Like this is recent, but there was this idea coming into my head. Like 
Okay, Aaron, you're selfish. First of all, you feel like you don't want to be here anymore, but yet you're staying for the security and you're staying because you don't want anybody to take your job and do it less than you. So Mm -hmm. that's ego, right? And that's cutting somebody else off from their ability to grow into inspire and to impact because I'm not creating space for them to step into my position. So I had a student teacher that I met, oh my gosh, almost maybe close to 12 years ago. And we became friends and um, she stepped into my position. Mm. And it's like, it's a gift to for her to be there. But if I would have stayed, st- stood in my way, I would have blocked her from evolving to who she needs to be. So I have to think about it like that too, because I could get really selfish and it could turn into about me, but I have to remember like what I do affects other people. Yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. And the identity, as your identity evolves, you're allowing hers too. And like our, right. our identity is, is never static. And I think that's a piece that took me a while to figure out and something I like to like talk to people about. It's like, you don't suddenly achieve this perfect sense of self. And I have this, and it's ironically in psychology, we call it identity achievement, but it's fluid. Like you're not done. So even, I don't know, I guess I will put that on you. Like, do you feel like now in this new entrepreneurial world, you have this identity as an entrepreneur that you have adapted that feels good? I have an identity as Erin, figuring out who I am, what brings me joy and what I like. Listen, I just got married in August. We have a house. I'm finding myself. I'm not the type to like to decorate. I like to decorate, but I didn't see myself loving it or loving to cook. I'm finding myself like going to home. Like this is like what I want to do. So I think like I'm evolving like and that's a little bit of freedom. I for so long identified as a dancer right now in this season. I identify as Erin trying to figure out what that means. And entrepreneurship is not tied to my identity. It's something that I use um, as a way to express myself and to be of service right now. Yeah. Oh, that makes me happy to hear. Because that's what I would love dancers to hear too, is that no matter where you are in your career, if you are a dancer, if you are a performer, if you are a teacher, like it is, it can be a big part of your identity, but it's a piece of, like you have a Mm -hmm. whole self outside of that, whatever that looks like Mm -hmm. for you. And holding on to that is the healthiest way psychologically, but it, uh, it allows for the space to evolve. So that's absolutely love that. Uh, I would love to talk a little about mindset and how it's impacted you and your journey as an entrepreneur, or maybe it's also an interesting way to talk back to some of your clients. Like you were saying that they are dance specialists in a way we aren't, don't usually think of them as a dance Mm -hmm. specialist and it's different. So do you think your, your clients have mindset issues around coming up with these new entrepreneurial journeys for them and what kind of stuff do you see coming Mm -hmm. up a lot? I don't think that it's like they have mindset issues about coming up with it because it's already inside of them. Like when we, when we do the work and we start to unpack, like it's very clear what their gifts are, but what the mindset comes around is like, am I qualified enough? Am I good enough? Do I deserve to share in this capacity. Because what I like to explain is like, there's different levels of mastery, right? Like, it's just like a ballet class. You take a beginner class, an intermediate and advanced class, right? Like, because you're in the beginner ballet class, or you're teaching the beginner ballet class, doesn't mean that you're not an exceptional teacher. It just means that you're serving the students where they are. Hmm. The same goes like, when you start to lean into your dance specialty, you're going to be someone who approaches it from an academic standpoint, like maybe you went to school and got knowledge about it, or maybe it was personal experience, or maybe it was a combination of both. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you need to discount the work that you're doing because of the entryway that you had. 
What I think is you need to create a program that's based on your entry and accept and find the clients who need it in that way and then continue to advance your experience by trainings, right? So that's the biggest mindset shift that they need to understand that they don't have to be as advanced as somebody else in order to serve people. And we work a lot on creating a curriculum that's in integrity and in alignment with where they are. And then, see, this is the whole thing about marketing, like, right? Like it's more than knowing your niche. It's about being in integrity with where you're at and speaking to those people. Because I've been there. I've worked with clients that were out of alignment with me. It's a part of the journey, right? And you work harder. It's stressful. It hurts your ego. It makes you feel not good enough. But what would happen if instead of trying to serve everyone, you serve those that were in alignment with your level of expertise? And I think that's the biggest thing that we work on in the program. Oh, that's interesting. So in alignment with your level of expertise. And you're right. And I think no matter where you are, that roadblock comes up. I mean, I definitely, mm-hmm. just speaking to me as a, my own entrepreneurial journey, I definitely have come up. I'm like, who am I to be doing this and saying that? So I'm like, I have this academic mm-hmm. side, but I'm trying to create something new and different to me, which feels like, okay, well, then mm-hmm. I have to start at the level I'm at, which is the very first time I did right. it, however, you know, however many years ago, it was like, this is new to me and that's okay. And let's start there. Right. But there's a gray line. Like, It's very, and I'm working on articulating this better. For example, you're not going to go out here and claim that you are a nutritionist helping dancers heal their relationship with food. You're not, if if you're not qualified to be a nutritionist, right? Mm -hmm. You want to help at a level that you're qualified for. And that's where the gray line comes in sometimes. And that's where out of integrity comes in, right? Some people are out here preaching that they have certain certifications and don't. I'm not saying that that at all. What I'm saying is figure out what the thing is that you are qualified in that you have done for yourself or done for others. If you're aspiring to be a nutrition coach, don't go there until you get your nutrition certification, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so it doesn't mean you can't have a business in dance with the area of specialty. It means that you need to stay in alignment with what you're certified with and qualified for. Yeah. The integrity piece is huge to me. And I see, I see it in psych a lot too of like, I, and I've talked to my audience about it. Like I am not a clinical psychologist and I have to tell Mm -hmm. people that all the time of like, nope, boundary. Like I can't, there's things that I can't Mm -hmm. work with you about or things that I can't advise you on. And then just in general, like as a podcast, like I am not your therapist, (laughs) like I wouldn't, you know, that's not how this goes, but I do have an expertise that I can lean into. But I think that the the mindset around finding your your lane and your expertise and believing in yourself there is i think that's the that was my hole i guess my gap is my expertise good enough and is it going right. to resonate yeah yeah i love that and it's so beautiful in dancepreneur academy they go from like defining their program promise like who they the problem they solve one one problem, no problem. who they solve it for and their special way of solving it and Yeah. And then they go into creating their curriculum. And then it's like, you start to see them shift into confidence when they start to see their curriculum come to life. And they're like, oh, this is good. This is worthy. So it's like putting all of the pieces of the puzzle together, help build that muscle of confidence and owning your area of specialty. It's not just like out of the gate. You're like, this is my area of specialty. I feel confident. It's like taking all of the steps that lead to confidence. Yeah. 
Oh, you're speaking my language. Absolutely. Because confidence doesn't come from one place or one occasion or, you know, mm-hmm. one time on stage. Now I did it. I feel great. It's like, no, there's mm-hmm. got to be lots of pieces that come together to allow exactly. you to feel confident. One question I'd love to ask a lot of my guests that I would love your opinion on is thoughts on success. Like what is success and how mm-hmm. you define it and how you help your clients mm-hmm. define it? Because I maybe presumptuously, but I feel like that might be an issue for them too. I love it. I was actually on a launch debrief call with one of my clients today and owning success is really hard for her, for her. And I think like the funny thing is you go into business. She, we said, I said this to her and she's like, I didn't expect this. You go into business or joining a program or getting a coach thinking that you're going to get the strategies, but really it's a tool to help you unlearn everything that's blocking you from your own um, define success, right? Because people are afraid to claim success. So what is success to me? Like success is really being true to what it is you want in life. And that might seem so baseline and so simple, but when I work with my clients, that is so hard for them to articulate. They have so much guilt, especially around pricing. Um, a lot of artists I work with want to price really low because they feel like they they want to serve everyone. Like it's they're apologizing for charging. So it's a lot of that. So success is like really figuring out what it is you want and then understanding and doing the work, whether that's therapy, whatever it is to be able to go after that. That's it. That's success. It looks different for everybody. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's like, that's it, but that is so challenging and it's, it's simple right. and hard to pull off and figure out right. what, what that is. And I also feel like it, it evolves. It's kind of like you're talking about an identity, mm-hmm. like your sense of success and what felt like success six months ago might feel different now mm-hmm. and being open to that and like, know what I want or what I feel, um, you know, where I feel successful has changed and that that's okay. Right. Like, and then it's also like my, my coach always says, and I love this. Um, it's like, where are you right now? Like for one business owner, success might be consistently generating a certain amount of revenue and understanding how to launch and, and sell. Right. Right. Or, or it might be success might be niching down and showing up live or success might be learning how to enjoy yourself and have fun. Like there's always going to be different levels of success. And I think sometimes, and my coach says this, what ties people up is that we go for the success before we even dealt with the problem that we're facing right there. So like, it's like me saying, oh yes, I'm going to like, oh my gosh, when I'm a millionaire, all of these things, like that's what I have to know. Like I need to be where I am right now. Like I just left my job. How do I like to enjoy life? How do I learn how to set up my schedule? Like those things are success to me in this current season. Yeah. Success in the current season for sure. Cause it is going to shift and change. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think what you said back a little bit ago about the pricing and the worth, I think I've seen that with other entrepreneurs I've seen with other dancers, especially in mm-hmm. dance too. There's a lot of conversation lately about paying dancers what they're worth and, um, mm-hmm. whether they're actual performers still or the choreographers. And there's this societal view that dancers are like cheap labor or like they're not, they're always backup, you know, they're not that performer. And obviously that's frustrating in the dance world, but I think then it carries into 
the life after dance that we're like afraid mm-hmm. to ask for what we're worth. Yeah. I mean, I like to say my, I'm changing the way that dancers are getting paid for sharing their skill set. Like I'm not playing like my programs are high ticket anywhere from that. My clients create anywhere from a thousand to $6,000. Like, and I'm very, like, I'm a very, I'm a, like, it's emotional, but it's like when I tell my clients, okay, what, what are take your monthly bills, take your debt, take what you want to do in a month. Like, do you like what you want to do and then take what you want to be able to give to community, add that all up. What's that monthly number? All right. This is what you have to be charging for your program. Like it's really simple. Like, well, I'm sick of people and I did it creating, doing all this work and creating programs and charging out of guilt, but then you can't even pay your rent. Mm -hmm. Which is how dancers have always lived. Right. Like, but who is that helping? Like it could change. And like, so I really push my clients in that regard. And it's not, it's not something that everyone, most of them don't embrace it right away. It's a huge learning curve for them. Like Mm -hmm. I got on with my client today and we were talking about her pricing. She's like, I want to price from a place of integrity. You know, I want to make sure everybody can afford it. I was like, can we shift your mindset a little bit? What if you had like an application process for tiered pricing? where people had to apply, but you still have forward facing the price of your program. So I share that to say right away, we think we have to dilute our pricing, but there's a lot of things that you can do to still serve the community without out the gate saying, oh, my pricing is this low. Yeah. Okay. No, that's, I was actually going to ask you that a little bit of, it seems like if you want to live in integrity and if part of your integrity is I want to serve underprivileged communities or I want to serve, you know, like I have a lot of people that I talk to that are, um, like you said, K through 12 teachers who we know don't make enough money as it is. And so yeah. and then I and then I feel guilty. I'm like, well, now how am I going to charge these people who were already horribly underpaid? So like staying in integrity with who you want to serve if your population is probably somebody who doesn't necessarily have that money. And then the guilt comes back on us as entrepreneurs of like, how do I serve them in integrity? But yet I know I've made something really special. See, it's hard for me because I mean, I'm a worker. Like if I can't afford something, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Like, and that's what I expect people to do. Even with my students, like when I was teaching them, like, no, you're going to figure it out. Like, we're going to figure it out. I'm not the type, like if, if you desire some things, you can figure it out. Mm-hmm. Whether that's like getting a part-time job, whether that's like, I just invested in a huge coaching program not so long ago. It was an investment between my husband and I, like, I'm very transparent about it. Like I figured it out. Like, and that was scary for me to have a conversation with him about it. You understand what I'm saying? So like, I'm not telling people to take out credit cards and all that things, but I sometimes think that I, I think there's a gray line. Sometimes I, I think it's in integrity, but sometimes I think that it's like, we're giving stuff away when we're removing the element of working for what you desire. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, I'm with you. And I think I've, I've seen it some too, that like, if you want it, you will make it happen. Like I have done that as the consumer and I have seen that in people who have worked with me, you will figure it out. And there's that balance of like the integrity comes in with, like you were talking about the certain certificates or not, or like just the quality of your work. Like I know the quality mm-hmm. is there and I'm going to make sure that that shows up as promised. And then the other part of that is like creating free content that's of high value, not this BS content that's out there like, oh, look at me, look at this. No, like 
content where if a person is not in a position to um, invest in themselves at that level, they are still getting such value from your free content. Mm -hmm. Very true. Right. There's still so much out there that's not all behind the paid wall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You, I feel like some people who might be listening that have not even ever thought about having a business around dance that wasn't teaching or choreographing or owning a studio or like would not even have a sense of what was possible. I don't know. I don't want you to necessarily call out clients or I don't know what's appropriate for you. Yeah, I could. I could. Yeah, I could share some of them. Some cool ideas or things that people have done that might be really out of the box. Yeah. So I have one client who um, is getting certified to be a doula, but she has a lot of clients that she works with incorporating movement into their birthing journey. So she created a a group program where she helps pregnant people um, with trauma-informed care understand how to move their birthing journey. I think that's just so cool. That's really interesting. I have another client who is a, a DOE, Department of New York City educator, and she was a Fulbright scholar who got to study in Peru and learn her heritage and her culture, and it transformed her life. So now she has a program which is hybrid. It's half virtual online, half travel to Peru, and she has clients traveling to Peru soon, and they learn all about their Peruvian heritage. They learn dances. They go to Peru. They learn from master teachers. Like, come on. Like, she she could have just started a program was like, hi, I'm offering Peruvian dance class online. Come sign up. But that's the difference. You're making it very, like, I don't know, juicy and mm-hmm. and all the things. I have another client um, who got injured a lot in dance and she just felt like she wasn't, she's a, she's a, I'm 41. She's a, she's a little younger than me. So that was the time where she didn't really feel supported. Like people were giving corrections. They were just like, fix this without the how. So she dove into like all of the things about training your body and she has helped dancers create training plans to improve their technique. And that's what she does now. So those are just some of my clients. Um, It's beautiful to watch them. Yeah. It's interesting to think about the, how, I guess it goes back to like life lessons that we have learned because of our dance journey. And we don't always stop and think about them, but like we have so many amazing life lessons that just dance was the vehicle for which we learned them. And then now you can like create a program that's going to do that for somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. If there, so if we have inspired a few people listening now, they're like, okay, maybe there's more to this dance, you know, after the actual performance side or people feeling burned out Mm -hmm. in the more traditional sense advice for anybody who might think about building this career after dance or just they're ready to pivot and do something new. I just say start to brain dump ideas that light you up that have come from your personal experience. Just start exploring what that's like. And then if you have a social media platform, just start talking about it and see how it feels. It's like you're trying it on. Mm -hmm. Try it on. Try it on. See how it feels. And I think that's the first step because I think so often people want the strategy, the how to, but they're not even ready to just even open their mouth about what it is they want to do. So I think challenging yourself to do that is a good step. I like that a lot because there is a lot of learning in the learning in the doing, right? You got to put it out there and mm-hmm. see how it feels to talk about it. And that's a lesson that I learned because I'm like a total A-type Capricorn Enneagram 3 and I had to really untrain myself to think that everything has to be at this high caliber of a performance level um, in order to be good, you know? And it's like, 
just embrace the process. Like if you're somebody exploring it, that's fine. It doesn't have to be amazing right away. Just start playing. Um, I think treating it like an experiment and a choreography project is a great way to look at it. And it's something that I try to remember all the time. That's a great analogy. Very true. Well, how can people find you in your work? Yeah. So I hang out on Instagram all the time. I go live um, usually every week. My name on Instagram is Erin Pride, E-R-I-N-P-R-I-D-E. And then you can also listen to the Dance Boss podcast. Um, An episode drops every Thursday and I'm continuously giving insight and perspective on how you can take your area of specialty and monetize it to 5K consistent months. I love it. It's something different and unique, which is exciting. And I think you and I have talked about this offline in other ways. That's like, you got to find your, you know, your lane and your passion. It might not be everybody else's lane. And like, if you, you're going to jive with me or you're not, you're going to agree. And I love yeah. that just whole vibe about you that you're like, this is who I am. And this is what I do. And if- thank you, Dr. T- Listen, it's taking time to get here. And it's like, sometimes I'm like, I'm like, wait, like, what is this work that I'm doing? It feels very different. Like not to be like, oh, Erin, you're doing different work, but sometimes it's scary. It's like mm-hmm. introducing a new way of thinking. Yeah. It's scary. For but sure. I appreciate you saying that and um, holding space for me to be here and to share about it. Yeah, absolutely. I always applaud people who stand firm in who they are. Like that's a big part of anybody's journey. And I think I'm, you know, we're all trying to get there. I'm still trying to get there. And it's mm-hmm. that that's a really beautiful thing. So any last closing thoughts, anything else you wanted to make sure we share? I just want to say that I just really enjoyed being here and having this conversation with you. It felt so easy. And as a podcaster, I love when it just feels easy with who I'm talking to. So you're doing an amazing job. Oh, thank you. I agree that some of the community piece to this is what makes this whole thing fun. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much for being here. And I really appreciate it. Thank you.